hosts the Procurement Podcast, supported by the National Forum for the Advancement of Teaching and Learning in Higher Education. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Voice of Procurement Podcast. I'm your host, David McEvitt. In this episode, I speak with Shirley Kelly of Idea Procurement Consultancy. Shirley has spent the last two years advising procurement teams in Ireland on how to best prepare for Britain's departure from the European Union. Shirley offers listeners a practical, process-based approach to managing Brexit risks and opportunities. Hi, my name is Shirley Kelly. I work for a procurement consultancy business called IDEA. I've been working with clients nationwide for the last two years, helping their businesses become prepared for Brexit. The relationship between Brexit and procurement, um, for some people it's perhaps an obvious relationship, for other people it's perhaps less obvious. So what have you seen as a Brexit consultant? Do you see both views or...? I've been working with companies nationwide for the last two years. Um, initially, companies are focused on the sales operations. Uh, they're focused on the financial impacts, how will it affect their cash flow. It's been a process for me to get people to turn and look at the front end, look at what they're buying, who they're buying from, uh, where they're buying, are there any direct or indirect links to the UK. Um, it's important for them to ident- identify their critical suppliers and not only that, their single source supply channels. What would be the impact? if they could not supply you in the morning how would your business operations bit so can we look at some examples then of maybe components that are critical you need to say critical or we refer to single source suppliers often as bottleneck suppliers um, this would be someone that you've sourced potentially in the UK um, they are, it's low value you're buying from them a low value component but it's crucial to the ongoing operation so for example if we take a ch- chair you'll have your upholstery you'll have your wood but you'll also have the nuts and bolts that put the chair together ordinarily these nuts and bolts you can get them every day but you can't finish your product you can't finalise your solution until you have all the components. So it's important to look at any single source supply channels to identify if they're going to be able to continue to supply you post-Brexit. And whether that's a direct sourcing relationship or whether it's through a wholesaler in Britain, the same principle applies. Exactly. For example, we have a lot of clients and they're buying packaging from Irish suppliers, but they're not considering the tier two supply channel. They're not mapping the full supply chain. Um, if you have a supplier in Ireland, where are they sourcing their raw materials? If they're trucking their raw materials into Ireland, it will have to come through the land bridge. It will have to come through the UK. Uh, some companies are working with businesses in Europe and they are buying goods that will be um, supplied as part of groupage. So who are the logistics providers you're dealing with? Do they have the right certification? Are they AEO accredited? That's very important because that is um, that is an extra accreditation that will allow um, logistics partners to any customs or pace. Uh, they will. It's a type of pre-clearance, actually. So what you call it, AOL, is it? AEO, AEO. Authorised Economic Operator. Okay. So it's not just then a case of what you're purchasing and where, it's also the almost the transit, the transport of that Absolutely. through different countries or different routes. So is looking at a supply chain, tier one, tier two, and trying to understand maybe where the risks are, is that a difficult task for companies? Well, your first 
uh, the first step in the process is to conduct a spend analysis. Look at your suppliers by how much you're buying from them and the risk they po pose to your ongoing operation. Then look at your single source suppliers, as I said, and potentially contact them. Uh, you might have to go and meet with them. You might start with a Brexit questionnaire. What is their Brexit plan? Uh, you would ask them to map their full supply chain. This is very important. Regardless of Brexit, you need to know the full end-to-end -end supply chain of your product, of your raw materials. Where is the original source? Um, and how long does it take to get to you? How many steps are involved in the supply chain? Um, the next step then would be to survey your logistics suppliers or to ask your suppliers to survey their logistics suppliers. How has it been trucked into you? Do they have the right accreditation, the AEO status that is um, very important post-Brexit? So the AEO status is something that a logistics company can apply for or gets, is it a certification or a it's an accreditation um it's a certain standard they have met a certain safety standard their systems have been audited um it's a type of a pre-clearance in terms of any checks at the border or any checks elsewhere that they will be expedited a type of a pre-clearance to allow them to pass through faster um, the process of applying for aeo takes approximately six months and if you don't get the accreditation it's difficult enough to actually go back and reapply again it's not something that you would do easily we see a lot of our companies working with their strategic partners so if you're buying high volume of goods from someone and there's a high risk uh, to your operation we would ask you to work with them in partnership uh, to work together combine your brexit plans um, there's often a Brexit team within a company who will work with their um, supplier's Brexit team. You need to identify your issues together and then jointly solve the problems together. It's very important as well to communicate with your customers. Um, you know, If you can get forecasts at a faster pace, if you can tell them that you're trying to harmonise the supply chain, uh, unify the customer and the supplier and then mitigate the risks together. So just to recap then, so the best practice approach that you've seen is to conduct the spend analysis, figure out where the main risks are, so that's the bottleneck products, communicate with the supplier, uh, I suppose agree a common approach. Um, what's been the response from the UK suppliers? Unfortunately the response has been poor and um, UK don't seem to think that it's their problem and um, they are reluctant in the first instance to offer any sort of a Brexit plan uh, it, it depends very much on how important the Irish market is to these um, suppliers if it is of importance uh, they will be willing to work with you they will come on site and um, they will jointly solve problems together we've seen instances where a company in the UK were looking for a warehousing facility to hold their stock within the Republic and so they were able to work with one of their customers they had extra warehousing space and now they're acting as a distribution hub for theirs so if you've got a small supplier in the UK very niche product and um, you need to look at what their turnover it is what their turnover is and what percentage of your business um, is going towards their profit um, are they going to be able to trade post brexit is the cost of additional uh, transportation going to uh, going to have an impact on their bottom line will they pull out of the Irish market is it going to be too expensive for them to deal with the Irish market and then are you going to be able to get your products elsewhere the control may be taken away from you um, if that's the case. And what's your sense of how many people, how many companies in Ireland have gone through the process of a spend analysis, a risk analysis, consultation with suppliers and whether that's mitigating the risk or whether it's avoiding the risk by switching suppliers? 
is it a is it your sense that a lot of companies have actually gone through this process? Um, I don't have the actual statistics. I can get that for you, David. But I would have been working with companies for the last two years. We would have been having um one to ones on a daily basis at one point. Um, I would travel to International Markets Week where I would meet clients all day, every day, discussing the opportunities. I then conduct consultancies on their premises where I help them with spend analysis. And I've been doing this for two years and there is a team of potentially 30 other consultants working nationwide. So people who actually um, are open to change and people who actually want to um, have a look at their supply base, they're usually very, um, it's usually a positive response. It's always actually a positive response because the initiatives that we're putting in place, it's something you should do anyway. It's good business practice. It's not just for Brexit, it's for any political or economic event. Do small companies uh, find this difficult versus larger companies? Have you seen any evidence of uh, not necessarily a willingness, but just uh, an ability? It's pretty much a process. Um, it can be a mixed bag. I've gone into very big companies with high turnover and they don't have a fit for purpose ERP system. But that's when I would point them in the direction of the Brexit grant. Um, Enterprise Ireland have a grant available whereby they'll subsidise €5,000. If you subsidise €5,000 at putting something in place to help you become more prepared for Brexit and that could be implementing um, an ERP system that's going to support you uh, and support your growth over the next three to five years. Um, I could go into smaller companies and they're literally pulling their spend data from their accounting package. Um, I do share templates with them. I help them along the way. As I say, I've been doing this for a long time now. So, you, you know, we can adjust what we need to suit what the, what's available with the client. There could be technology problems or just legacy systems that are frustrating. The level of detail you need for the Absolutely, yeah, okay. or the master data is not up to scratch with a bigger company. Um, I've had smaller companies and they've had absolutely fantastic data. And then when I share my findings, they're completely amazed that I can find this in their data and it's been sitting in their system and they've never looked at it, they've never considered it. Okay, so when we look at the process then of the spend analysis, the best case scenario is that you've got a wonderful uh, accounting system or ERP system that spits out all this information that's reliable in terms of where the stuff is coming from. The worst case scenario is you may have an ERP system that isn't up to scratch and is not giving you complete data. So you have to go and investigate and, and follow the trail, is it, or follow the kind of... We get there in the end, ultimately, because everyone will have financials. Everyone mm. will have information that they have to submit for their financial um, accounts. So um, it may be a slower process, but at a minimum, I look at top 10 suppliers and I will identify any single sources of supply. Um, and then it's just about stepping through every single one of those suppliers and asking the relevant questions. What is the relationship like? What contract have you in place? Uh, what are the risks? What are the opportunities? And what's the action plan we can put in place as a result? And is it possible to talk about the main response supplier in the UK? Um, the options are to obviously work with the supplier, come up with a contingency plan. Uh, or else resource or maybe dual source are those the kind of options you're looking at absolutely or are some companies we found that they can actually bring the bring the production in-house 
um, if it was a really, really niche product and really important to their ongoing operation. They have um, got grants again through Enterprise Ireland and they have been able to develop um, a facility within their own production line to produce the product themselves. So they're actually insourcing the product? There's a voucher available through Intertrade Ireland. Um, it's very easy to apply for you, just follow a link. Um, the funding is €2,250 inclusive of VAT. Um, for me, that gives you two days, uh, two half days on site and two half days off site in which I'll work with you and your team. Um, we conduct a Brexit scorecard. We ask you the relevant questions to identify and uncover the risks. Um, I then take a copy of your data or I work with you to extract your data. I conduct an analysis off site. I come back and I share my findings and then I'm coaching and mentoring your purchasing personnel and um, getting them to be able to continue with this program after Brexit. Um, Enterprise Ireland also have an act on initiative which again it's the same process two half days on site two half days off site um, and then if you want to go further with this they offer you the Brexit Be Prepared grant which is 5,000 euros um, if the company contributes 5,000 euros to continue with whatever project. So it's open to all enterprises irrespective of what you're Enterprise Ireland is for Enterprise Ireland clients and um, for smaller micro businesses the local enterprise offices offer some their own grants and funding. I have been involved in some of those initiatives, but they're different uh, depending on the locality. Um, Intertrade Ireland is open to everyone. It's not just the supply chain that we're, we're concerned about. People all in, also need to consider GDPR. Um, the UK are currently signed up to GDPR, but we don't know what their position will become post-Brexit. If they do decide to align their policies, the EU are, are also within their right to audit all their privacy protection laws. So we don't know what the outcome will be there. Um, many of your indirect services will be affected. This could affect things if you're sharing data with anyone in the UK, um, such as HR services, marketing services, pensions, banking, IT. Um, where has that data been stored? Because that could be a risk if you're st st storing EU data and UK data on an Irish cloud server or a UK cloud server, that could be a problem. You will be essentially working with the third country Mm. Um, and that means they won't have the same um, laws in terms of privacy and data sharing. So the EU mightn't be happy with you um, working with them unless there is some sort of a contract of convenience drawn up between you um, and the company that you're dealing with. So we're still way off kind of that being resolved. That's part of the whole will we align or not align type of approach, is it? Yeah. Ideally, you would need UK data stored on a UK cloud so server, EU data stored on a EU cloud server. Okay, okay. So that's GDPR. In terms of contracts? Um, it's important to know the terms of your contract, uh, what the risks are, um, who, what jurisdiction governs the contract, if it's the UK jurisdiction, if there's a problem, if there's an issue with mediation or if there's disagreement, it's very important. Um, it, it would ideally be um, the case where you should have the contract in your own jurisdiction but often smaller companies don't have that luxury so it's very important to know the terms of your contract and what the risks may be. I would say for your own customer contracts as well we also recommend that you have some sort of a Brexit clause in place and um, just in terms of price fluctuations if you can't commit to pricing for example in the public sector um, you would need to have a contract to enable you to break that contract if the case was okay. that you couldn't okay. supply at a certain price point. Okay, well, and so those GDPR and contracts are strictly outside the physical exchange, but they're still part of the whole supply chain. Mix. Primarily, I am working with the Enterprise Ireland and Intertrade um, 
clients will say and anyone that I've met with it's been a very positive experience um, it's opened their mind to what's possible a lot of them weren't conducting spend analysis and now they're moving towards regularly conducting spend analysis um, which is good procurement practice anyway completely okay. it's good business practice is what I would say they should be doing it anyway people don't focus on what they're buying and if you think about it 70% of what they're buying um, no one's managing it they have administrators looking after um big areas of spend and then they're not trained or they're not taking their recommendations seriously. So then that goes back to the <coughs> professionalisation of procurement, maybe having internal staff who are not just placing orders but are also maybe questioning volumes, questioning prices, looking for better value, understanding the... Or working with the suppliers to, to sell the opportunity, looking at historical data um, asking for forecasted information I would work with big companies and for example they would be hiring skips so they would ring their service provider and ask for ask for a price point on a skip um, I simply went into the company looked at their 12 months of spend um, was able to say you know we're forecasting 3.5 million of spend over the next 12 months can you give me a price point and I was able to save 25% So this has led to other quick wins to the fact you're going through a process that's ostensibly about Brexit is actually really about good business practice. Completely. I always try to find the opportunity. We use something called the Kralgic Matrix where we identify the strategic and the bottleneck supplier. But then I always look at the leverage and the routine, which would be the high spend area or a low spend area, but it's minimum risk. So we always try to find some opportunity there for the customer to focus on, um, whether it be consolidation or um, getting a reduction because of volume. There are, there are opportunities in a supply base that hasn't been managed. And in terms of procurement, direct procurement versus indirect, has that ever come into the conversation or if I'm relying more on indirect suppliers? Um, people, I have spoken to companies and they've been hugely successful on the sales they're selling and they have told me they haven't had a risk with Brexit. Uh, they don't have a risk with Brexit. So I asked them to actually tell me the channel of how they get their critical products and they will say we're sourcing in Poland that's not an issue that's not going to be a Brexit issue so I will ask them in your mind tell me how it gets to you and it's nearly like a light bulb that goes off on their head because they're realizing it has to come through the UK this is going to be an issue they would ask whoever's with them in the meeting contact um, supplier number one contact supplier number two this is something we need to focus on or I would have had a big company as well um, who would have been managing their operation. They would have been conducting st strategic sourcing. Um, but because I had fresh eyes on their data, I was able to go in and find a single source supplier of engineering services. And that was a critical item for their production. Um, and they were able to go to that engineering company and put a plan in place. Um, Did you find anyone who was sourcing from the north of Ireland? Um, we have been up in the north. I've worked in Kenny actually, and the companies up there are very worried, very concerned. I would have had one particular company and they're actually moving product across the border on a daily basis and multiple times during the day. And they were concerned as to, well, there was disbelief, actually. Um, I would have met those companies in the first year that I was doing this job and they would have been completely um, not believing that Brexit was going to happen at all. I think that was kind of a shared belief, I think, that it wouldn't happen or for some reason it, uh, it wouldn't happen in, in, in the way we thought it would happen. But um, just in terms of what you've seen, Charlie, in terms of the preparedness, you take people through this process, but... Would you be concerned that people, companies that are not engaging with EI or Inter-Trade Ireland are just not doing anything? 
There certainly are. Um, the Enterprise Ireland work with revenue and they're able to see the number of companies who um, take an EORI number. Um, if you don't have an EORI number, um, there will be an issue for you trading with the UK post Brexit. Um, so the revenue are able to see those numbers. Have you seen companies uh, switch suppliers in different geographies? Yes, I have. That has happened already? Yeah. Um, I have had companies who are now working with the Benelux region. Um, I have had companies who have um, taken out the market diversification grant with Enterprise Ireland and they have gone to other European countries and they have um, developed new supply channels. Wow. And while it still might be more expensive to deal with those supply channels, they've ex uh, they've established trading lines with them, they've got credit terms set up with them, they're um, measuring their break-even, so they know at what point they need to trigger a change and start moving supply over to the European uh, supplier. Thank you.